the month before that, I think there was a lot of talking uh, throughout the day, a lot of teaching on my part. And then um, so there's all kinds of ways in which this unfolds. And um, each day is meant to stand on its own, but each day also um, is part of a year-long series. Um, and so this year, the series is on the um, uh, on a meditation instructions that the Buddha gave called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And there are a whole series of exercises there in mindfulness practice that the Buddha gives. And so we've been going through them over these months. And now um, we're at the last exercise, the culmination, the climax of the Buddha's instructions on mindfulness. And that's uh, the topic of the Four Noble Truths. And um, the Four Noble Truths uh, are often seen as the kind of essence, core uh, teachings of the Buddha. Um, in some... Uh, Everything the Buddha teach, taught, everything that Buddhism is about can be kind of held or contained within the Four Noble Truths. Um, and uh, if you understand the Four Noble Truths and everything else follows from that. The, um, the Four Noble Truths can be seen as very simplistic. And um, However, sometimes the simplest uh, um, equations are the, the, the most elegant and simple ones are the most ones that are most profound and, um, in science or mathematics. So... Um, that's the way it works in Buddhism. There was a scholarly um, study, a woman wrote a book some years ago, um, that uh, she made a claim based on some very, um, probably not very reasonable assumptions about linguistics, that uh, when she looked at the ancient texts, and came to the conclusion that um, the Buddha didn't teach the Four Noble Truths. It was a later edition in the tradition. And so when Tanisra Bhikkhu, Tanjafa, the scholar monk, who we know comes here sometimes, read her book, he said, well, you know, I don't really care. Uh, whoever came up with the Four Noble Truths, that person's the Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> so whether the Buddha came up with it or he came later, you know, it doesn't matter. Just that's, you know, it's so important, you know. So... Um, um, and um, so that you know, for those of you who don't know what they are, um, they're usually stated very simply. Um, and often the way they're stated is, is uh, the way the way you know, the game where the game telephone happens. By the time uh, the Four Noble Truths ends up in popular American culture, it's often uh, misrepresented. So the, uh, the first noble truth is simply that there is suffering, and the telephone game brings it to America as saying life is suffering which is just a drag to hear that. There's no hope, right? Um, but uh, the this, this statement is, there is suffering. And it's kind of hard to argue against that. Uh, there is suffering. There's also happiness, but there is, uh, there is suffering. The second is that um, there is a, um, a cause or conditions that give rise to that suffering. Um, and then there is, the third one is that there is the uh, cessation of suffering, or there's a cessation of the causes that give rise to suffering. There's cessation. There's the end of this. There's the coming to an end. And then there is um, the last one is that um, last noble truth is the path to to be walked, to be engaged in, that leads to that cessation, leads to that end. So there's the the suffering, the cause, the end, and the conditions, the path that leads to the end. Another way of saying it, which is usually not said in Buddhism, but you could, with kind of a little bit likely say, um, 
there's suffering and the cause of suffering and there's happiness and the conditions for happiness. And so the fact that we use the word cessation or end for the third noble truth uh, doesn't mean that, um, you know, it's not just kind of like, you know, a dead end that's kind of left, leaves you kind of a limbo with nothing. Um, so um, it's very simple. You know, there's suffering, a cause, possible to end it, and, and there's a path to walk it. When the Buddha taught, at, or sometimes, he would put some, uh, sometimes you find him in his discourses that he prepare people for the Four Noble Truths. He would lay out a whole series of, of um, presentations uh, that would lead people to a state of mind, a state of openness or faith or confidence, prepare them so that their mind was primed to somehow understand the Four Noble Truths in a way that was really deeply penetrating. So even though it's easy to understand, it's another thing to have it really penetrating and really be to have, a, to have a transformative value in us. And uh, in one, one area where he did it was he would first talk about things that bring joy. He would talk about the joy of, of uh, generosity and that would gladden people's hearts. And then he'd talk about the joy of ethics, of, of integrity, and that would gladden and kind of inspire people a little bit. And then he'd talk a little bit about, um, and indirectly a little bit about the, the joys or the happinesses of the rebirth that you'll have if you live an ethical life and generous life. You get reborn in these beautiful heavenly realms for some time. And that's a nice thing. People will be happy inspired by that. And then he talked about some of the benefits of, um, of letting go, of renunciation, of living a life of simplicity. And supposedly that would inspire people. And then um, he would talk about the benefits and the possibilities of getting concentrated. And in my imagination, I imagine as he's doing this, he's talking about concentration. People are really getting kind of focused and concentrated on what he's teaching. Their minds are getting still, settled, alert, clear, just right there. The mind's not wandering a lot into other things, not thinking about the baseball games. And, you know, they're just there listening to the Buddha and, and the, mind are, the minds are getting concentrated. And then uh, at some point then he would, uh, when the, he felt the, mind, the, the audience was prepared and ready, he would teach them the Four Noble Truths. And, um, and because their mind was so ready, they can maybe understand how it applies to their life in a very deep way. So in that sense, the, the Four Noble Truths is a climax or the kind of, of uh, what the Buddha had to teach. Not to be understood, you know, just as an introduction to Buddhism kind of thing, but uh, it's advanced Buddhism. And you, we prepare ourselves for that. In this discourse we've been looking at this, at this year, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, you have trouble hearing? You know, there are hearing system devices there, if that would help you, uh, that, are, that uh, you plug it into your ear and it makes it easier to hear. And, uh, or you could move closer. Is it okay with everybody else? Today? for you now? So, so how's that? Is that working better? Okay. So in this discourse we've been looking at the, um, the Four Noble Truths is the last exercise and one way of understanding that is that the earlier exercises are preparing us to really be able to address the Four Noble Truths take them on really let them penetrate into our life. So in the earlier uh, to be kind of be simplistic about this the earlier exercises 
First, there's exercises that uh, are training a person to be in their body, to be embodied. They get calm and settled, use the breath to calm and settle the body. To use the breath to be in touch with the body, to pay attention to the body in other ways. Just kind of be embodied, be present for your body, know how to be in your body. And then um, there's uh, uh, teachings or exercises or on learning how to pay attention to the simple ways in which uh, our body and mind uh, respond or react to stimulus, whatever's going on. Uh, uh, there's sometimes, you know, there's, uh, it causes um, suffering or it causes, things are experienced in a pleasant way or unpleasant way. Um, and we kind of, kind of see kind of how we react and respond to whatever's going on at an immediate kind of felt sense level. So dropping into the, not only the body, but in the felt sense level of our experience. And that, of course, is an antidote or, uh, from the usual way of experiencing things through the filter of our interpretations, our stories, our metaphysics, our you know, history. And, you know, it can be very complicated the way we interpret and experience, often not accurately. So the idea is to come back to what's most primary and immediate, what's happening right here. So these early exercises are really training a person to be immediate here. And then um, uh, learning to pay attention to the states of the mind. And the states of the mind can be varied. But learning the, the, quality, uh, the quality of the mind, knowing how to track it. And so again, that's also about just being immediately present for what's here. And then it goes into talking, looking at some of the patterns of the mind, how the mind actually works. Um, how the mind works in a reactive way with desire and aversion. To see how that works. To understand the, the cause and conditions of aversion and desire and restlessness and anxiety and doubt and understand what prompts it, understand how to, um, how to let go of it or um, abandon it. And somehow being able to begin working with, uh, also with the attachments of the mind, the way the mind gets attached or clings to things. And there's a lot of emphasis in Buddhism in learning how to work with a clinging mind, the, the mind that is made possible to be present, but even though it's present, it's still clinging and reacting and for and against and what's going on. Often at a very deep affective level, deep emotional level, we react and cling or resist. So learning how to be present for that and see that and not turn away from it or ignore it, but being very wise and be able to connect to it and understand uh, the reactive qualities of the mind. So, and then, um, the, uh, what we did last month, the second to last exercise, <coughs> is start paying attention to um, the beautiful qualities of mind that come into play as a person engage, engages in the Buddhist path. So, um, um, as you kind of engage in this practice, it's not just about looking at attachment and suffering and all that, but as your mind gets settled, concentrated, mindful, engaged in the present moment, uh, sooner or later it'll give birth, give rise to some really beautiful states of mind. And there's seven of them. So there's mindfulness, investigation, um, effort, energy, engagement, joy, tranquility, uh, concentration, and equanimity. And these are called the seven factors or seven conditions for awakening to happen. So here you, kind of, you, kind of get, you get a sense of the kind of the development here, learning how to be present for your immediate experience in your body, uh, your reactivity, your um, mental states, uh, the emotional reactions and the clinging and learning how to engage it and be, be honest about it and work with it and let go of them. And then cultivating these beautiful qualities of mind and after all that, then the Buddhist, then the instructions is now notice the Four Noble Truths. With all that as a foundation, 
then notice the Four Noble Truths. Notice how you're suffering. Notice that you're, you are suffering. Noticing, um, <coughs> noticing um, what the cause of your suffering is. Noticing how the possibility of ending that suffering. And notice what it takes to end the suffering. Because it's not always easy to let go of the causes. So what does it take? So, um, so th- now the mind is so prepared, maybe quiet enough, concentrated enough, still enough, engaged enough, that when you direct the mind to look at suffering, you don't get depressed. You, know, you don't get reactive. But it actually can meet the suffering with very wise presence. And in many spiritual traditions that I know of, there's, I've seen in some corners of the tradition the teaching that if you run away from your suffering, it hurts more. And if you turn, there's something about turning towards suffering, which is very uh, freeing and very important. And um, certainly true for other people. If you turn towards the suffering, just be present for them. It's very, it can be very healing and helpful for them. So the same thing for ourselves is a way of turning towards our suffering and really taking it in. And that can be very helpful, just the presence of it. And by this time, we're supposed to have a kind of quality presence for that, ability to really connect with it in a very useful way. And then with that calm, set, uh, settled mind, willingness to look, then maybe it's possible to look kind of under the surface of what's going on and understand something very deep about the causes and conditions that prompt us to be, uh, to cling, prompt the suffering to arise. That's uh, out of the clinging we have. And um, some of the deepest uh, held suffer, uh, clinging, suffering, uh, suffering born from clinging, comes from clingings that are very hard to see. And so, just to kind of, for me to go down to El Camino here and walk up to a stranger and say, oh, um, I'm sure you're suffering and all you have to do is let go of your clinging. You know, it's not gonna mean anything, right? Because what clinging? I didn't realize I'm clinging. And, uh, but to really see the clingings, you know, it's like for example, clinging to self, clinging to self-identity. It takes a, 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 a still, quiet mind to really be able to penetrate that and see it. And, um, and then to see the possibility of freedom, um, uh, enough so you can really let go in a deep way takes again a prepared mind, a cultivated mind. Am I making sense to you? So um, this is the, the climax of uh, what the Buddha had to teach. It's the climax of this uh, particular discourse of practice. It's meant to be something quite profound. Um, So today, we're going to explore these Four Noble Truths. And um, we're not going to explore them in the abstract, because that's useful, I imagine. But uh, I think much more useful and to the point for uh, us to explore them, or you to explore them, uh, in your life, in your your own experience. Kind of point it back, and can you discover these Four Noble Truths for yourself? And um, I believe at the beginning of this year-long series, I did say something, didn't I say something about this is a high-risk class? Didn't I remember that? No? I didn't say that? I thought I wanted to have a disclaimer at the beginning. Um, And um, now I tell you at the end. Sorry. I guess it hasn't been risky enough yet. And, um, but the, uh, you know, I I take you very seriously to do a class like this and what the the engagement of practice in order to really make a difference in your life. Uh, it means you're kind of willing to engage yourself and take some risk or some be some exposed or really kind of engage in ways that may be a little bit unusual if you kind of 
you know, walking down El Camino. And so some of the things we might do today uh, might initially seem uncomfortable to you. And you can always uh, adjust and make it more comfortable as you wish. But uh, there's a little bit of warning that that's the case. And, um, and um, maybe it won't make you uncomfortable, we'll see. But also, um, the day is meant to... Uh, some pe- I often notice that some people will come for these um, Friday Dharma practice days and leave as lunchtime. And uh, some people do it every time. That's their, kind of their pattern. And that's fine. And that's what you want to do. But today, be warned that uh, then you might leave incomplete because uh, the day is meant to, you know, to, um, to, you know as a whole... And so they will go through the Four Noble Truths in the course of the, course of the day. And if you leave at lunchtime, then you might just be left suffering. <laughs> you know, and you have, and you, you know, and you leave suffering and you won't, you, you won't have seen the resolution of it. <laughs> or you could just leave now and come back at lunchtime and <laughs> just get the good news after lunch. <laughs> So, um, so, um, why don't you, if you want, it might be nice, just take a 30 seconds to stand and stretch, and, and uh, then we'll do a, do a meditation. So take a comfortable, alert posture, close your eyes, and then take a few moments um, to kind of get into your posture, being careful with your posture, attentive to it, maybe sway a little bit or 
twist a little bit with your body to kind of really settle in and find a good way of sitting. And not thinking about your posture from your head, but rather being inside your body in a sense and feeling your whole body settling in, being present. As you feel your body, your posture, if it's possible to enjoy or appreciate being in your body, because it feels pleasant or maybe because you feel some sense of strength. Some sense of aliveness. See if you can kind of appreciate or enjoy something about being present in your body with your posture. in your body, as part of your body, become aware of your breathing. Notice how your body experiences breathing, the movements in your body, changing experiences of pressure, tightness, release of pressure, release of tightness. Feeling your body breathing, and from the ins- as much from the inside of your body as you can. So it's not watching from your head, but sensing, feeling within your body. Take a few slow, long, slow, deep breaths. So the breathing helps you connect more fully to your body. 
the deep in-breath stretch, your ribcage, your shoulders, maybe even your belly, your back ribcage. And then as you exhale, let go, relax, soften your muscles, Breathing in deeply. And as you exhale, letting the muscles of your body fall away from the the bones. And then letting your breath return to normal, but staying with your breathing, breathing in and breathing out. See if you can allow the breathing to have an effect on you. Allow, see if the breathing can help soften, calm the body and the mind. directing the energy of the mind to the breathing. The energy of the mind is less and less available for thinking and preoccupations. So the breath 
is at the center of your experience. Many things occur on the sides, around the peripheries. Thoughts, body sensations, sounds. Let them just be in favor of being settled in the breath at the middle. As you stay with your breathing, see if you can cultivate a little bit greater sense of ease, easiness, being easy with how your body is. Even if your body feels uneasy, be at ease with that. As you breathe in and out, see if you can be at ease in your mind. Be easy with the mind. If the mind is uneasy or restless, 
Keep breathing mindfully best you can and be easy, be at ease with how the mind is. the wind moving through or waves washing up and down from the shore, breathing in and breathing out, letting yourself be at ease in your heart, in your emotional state, even if you feel uneasy in the heart, be easy about that. Each time you exhale, using the exhale as a reminder to let go of whatever you're thinking about, to let go into a little greater stillness or peace.
as you exhale. See if you can let go physically, emotionally, mentally. Let go into some feeling of well-being. Even if you feel uncomfortable in many ways, is there some little hint of well-being or sense of well-being that you can tap into as you exhale, settling into it? And perhaps that well-being, its presence maybe can make it a little bit easier to stay with the in-breaths and the out-breaths. Staying with your breaths, in-breaths and out-breaths. If you can't relax or let go into some sense of well-being, remember the bottom line here is to try to be at ease with what is. If you feel uncomfortable physically or mentally or emotionally, what if, can you experiment a little bit as you keep breathing mindfully? Can you experiment with somehow creating some space or calm or acceptance or allowance or ease around what's uncomfortable. go of thoughts as you exhale. 
And now from whatever foundation of calm you might have, or stability, inner stability you might have, turn your attention mindfully, deliberately, quietly to some way in which right now you're suffering. Is there any way now that there's suffering in your experience? And try to bring that attention to the suffering without now thinking about it, but bringing a calm presence. It might be quite subtle, it might be quite large, it doesn't matter how it is. It might be quite far in the background. Or it might be a current of suffering about something that's not happening here and now, but it's part of your life these days. And then see if you can bring an easy presence, relaxed presence, to simply hold or be present for the suffering that you have. as if suffering deserves your respect. And you can have respectful presence of it, getting to know it better, sense it better, not to get rid of it, not to do anything with it, except getting to know it better from as, from as calm a presence as you can bring.
you have any habits of reacting to suffering, it makes it hard for you to bring a calm, friendly presence to it. And then come back more fully to your breathing again. And for the next two minutes or so, not very long, immerse yourself in breathing. So that's all that you're really doing. Your attention is best you can connected to breath for two minutes. Letting go of everything else. 